Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Welcome to the show. This is our teeny tiny tutor tutorial, which we are affectionately calling quadruple T. It's a lot easier. You know what? The number of times we've practiced saying that, I think, worked because we haven't tongue twisted it. Not once. That's good. This podcast, of course, being The History Chicks, is usually all about the ladies, the chicks. But in this case, with this Tudor dynasty, I think, without the roosters, it's going to make no sense. No, we need a little rooster talk, and so this is it. It's not a trend, but, you know, once in a while we're going to need to talk about the men. Because they just add a little more color to the lives of the women, and they explain things. So, as usual, you know how we are about everybody having the same name. And this era is worse than any era we have ever encountered in our entire lives. And we've proved it's not just our imagination. No, it's not. During this time period, the top ten female names accounted for 74% of the people. 74% of the people were named ten names. So, you know, you've got your Elizabeth, Margaret, Mary, Anne, etc. We'll post the list on the website. Mm-hmm. And men were even worse. Oh, in the men, we have the Henrys, the Edwards, the Georges, the Richards. But top ten names, 82% use those ten <laughs> names over and over and over again. I think they just did it to confuse us down the line. So good luck for us. It's actually gone down to 25% in Britain for the top ten now. Different names, of course, but well, the fact that it's confusing will not be a surprise to you. No. But we'll try to make this Tudor era, the Tudor dynasty, as simplified as possible. Here we go. Okay. (laughs) The Tudors actually only ruled for 118 years, only three generations. There's five monarchs total in this family, which is odd for such a famous family. It's grandpa, it's dad, and it's three children. Done and done. Of those five monarchs, had you heard of any monarch, you would have heard of two of these, Henry VIII and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth I. Right. So they must have done something right to be so, or very wrong, to be so <laughs> very famous. That's true. So how did this family come to power in the first place? Now, unlike now, where the next guy just steps up and takes the throne, like, you know, Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Charles. I know some of you think he's abdicating. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it's going to happen. You don't. Why would you? I don't know. Poor old thing has waited his whole life. He might as well take the last... Go out with a bang. Yeah. So anyway, Queen Elizabeth II, then Prince Charles, then William, then the child of William. It's linear. We know what's going on. There's a peaceful handoff of whatever power that is, at least all the money at this point. But Um, back then, not so much. It got very muddy. It did. There were lots of claimants to the throne of relatively equal legitimacy. There have been factors like illegitimate children that had been legitimized later, who was the son of the second or the third or through their mother. You know, it was just complicated. So the royal family of Henry VI is called the Plantagenets. Which sounds like a word. It sounds like it's an adjective or something, but it's not. It's the name. A plant, I believe. But it's the name. It's the name. So um, you've got two rival, two rival factions, both in this family. So we're talking cousins here. The House of York in the House of Lancaster. And they are battling. For about 30 years they've been battling. They they overtly battled for 30 years, and then they poked at each other before and after that. Right. Let's just say. You know, it was the back seat. They looked at the line, and they went over and poked their 
cousin. Right. <laughs> Bad things happen. So it's a classic story. Two rival families caught in this unstoppable feud. Children were raised to hate members of the other side and to distrust them. And it just perpetuated through the generations, um, like Montagues and Capulets or... The Hatfields and the McCoys. It's more like the Hatfields and McCoys than anything. It is. Although the Sharks and the Jets. Yes, but less dancing. Yes. That's sad. <laughs> this time period is now called War of the Roses. Although at the time, obviously, it wasn't the term that they used. Hey, let's have the War of the Roses. Um, it was a phrase coined in a, actually in a Victorian novel, which is quite after this period, by Sir Walter Scott, based on a scene from a Shakespearean play, um, Henry VI, Part One. Yeah, Shakespeare was trying to um, dramatize the... Really, you kind of had to choose your side and hope you picked the right one. Mm-hmm. And so, to make that easy for the stage, the men, the nobility, are all standing in a garden being dared to choose a rose from the white flower, mm-hmm. the white plant, which is York, or the red plant, which is Lancaster. But Lancaster actually fought under a red dragon, which is way more macho <laughs> roses. than roses. <laughs> one by one, the Lancaster men are getting picked off. Seriously, just in battle, they're just gone. He's gone, he's gone, the head of this house is gone, the earl of this is gone. Just keeps happening. And the Lancaster king, Henry VI, was was weak. I mean, what do you know about Henry VI? Exactly. That's it. <laughs> Unless you're British and were learned him in school, right. you really don't know a lot about him. And the main thing, honestly, you need to know about him is that he was weak. He was weak and he was also very cuckoo. He had these fugues where he would sit and stare into space and laugh maniacally at nothing. He wouldn't be responsive. And, and this kind of this kind of authority figure does not exert a lot of influence. No, and the country was suffering because of it. It was just chaos, really. So if you were a common man <laughs> trying desperately to subsistence farm, which mm-hmm. is really all, all you could do to survive... These warring bands of men coming by, taking your pigs, trampling your crops, not being gentlemanly to your wives and daughters, perhaps, um, brigands on the highway. You couldn't really go anywhere. It was a really stressful time. It was not a good time no. to be at any level of society, I don't think. No. But the Yorkists smelled blood. So the Yorkists took over. Edward IV took that crown in battle. And he basically took the crown in battle and said, you know what? I am the legitimate heir. I don't have to wait for Henry to die. How about that? Yeah. Huh. Right. He took over before Henry VI was gone. gone. And, you know, say what you will about that technique. Say what you will about him as man or whatever, since he had his own brother drowned in a barrel of wine. So he may not be such a nice man, but he did bring order. Right. The country got to take a bit of a breath mm-hmm. because... He's a strong hand at the helm, and he doesn't take anybody's crap. Right. So sometimes that's what you need. Yeah, yeah. And they obviously, they needed it then. But. So no one can live forever, unfortunately. And when Edward IV died, his children were not yet grown up enough to take the throne on their own. There had to be a regent. There had to be a guardian to take care of them. And he had a brother left, which was good. He hadn't drowned him in a barrel of wine. Right. So gracious of him. So Richard of York was left. Uncle Richard, to take care of these two little boys. And have you seen the movie The Lion King? When there's a king, and he has a brother. We've got the same scenario here. Right. But then the king has a son. Dang it! (laughs) The uncle's never going to be king! Unless he takes matters into his own hands. 
We all know what happens. Scar decides, upon the death of his brother, to go ahead and get rid of the competition. Put himself in the position of power. And that's exactly what Richard III did. He decided he was going to take matters into his own hands and take the two little nephews into his custody as the protector, where, history says, he had them executed. Right. I don't think he did it himself, but they're gone. And if you know anything about Richard III, you probably know, my horse, my horse, my kingdom for a horse. Thanks, Shakespeare, again. I know. <laughs> that was nice that Shakespeare, I mean, towards the end of the Tudor era, towards the end of the Tudor era, is writing about the things that happened at the beginning of the Tudor era. So we have Scar on yeah. one side. And then we have this other guy. A man named Henry Tudor, who, wait, where did he come from? Well, he was born of a royal line, and he was taken out of the country he wasn't on even, purpose. Yeah, he wasn't even in England. He was in Wales for a while, and then he was in court in France, in Brittany. But yeah, this, this smart, <laughs> the smart Lancastrians knew, well, there's a baby. What does that do? Let's put him somewhere safe until he grows up. And he was really the strongest candidate for the job. I mean, he didn't have the best claim to the throne, but he did have the best chance at the mm -hmm. throne, shall we put it that way. And he got his, the French were behind him yep. in, in some regard. I mean, they were, because it was in their best interest mm -hmm. to be. So Henry Tudor went back, took the throne on the field of battle, and he became Henry VII. Very dramatic battle it was. <laughs> so Henry the Seventh is Grandpa, yep. Grandpa Tudor. He's right. the first Tudor monarch. So that's good. And you know what? The very first thing he did, he married Elizabeth of York, the sister to the two princes in the tower. So his children would have that line on their mother's side and the conquering line on his side. And so by the time his children came about, surely nobody would have anything wrong with it. Even if they had a problem with him, his children would have both bloodlines, and can we lay off now? Right. This is this is the end of all that quarreling, because the bloods are mixed. And, Thank goodness. And his people got busy on his graphics. <laughs> they did. Now, you know, the white York Rose, very famu, he was good at the language of symbols, and the red rose was a nice compliment. Now, historians do believe that the red rose may have just been adopted to make a nice yin and yang, the York symbol. He added them together, and it's a famous Tudor rose, right. combining them both. And we see that everywhere. Yeah, and we'll put pictures of the separate elements and the combined elements on the website. <laughs> so, uh, Henry VII ruled for 20 years. At last, we're taking a big sigh of relief. There are two sons. Mm -hmm. Hooray. There doesn't seem to be anybody left angry enough to whack them. No. At least not yet. Um, and so we've got two sons. Now, unfortunately, the oldest one dies. Dang it. So often that happens. But then we've got Henry VIII, and we will definitely talk about him later, I assure you. But note, his was the first peaceful accession in a long while, which has got to be a relief. That's right. And coming right after him, Edward VI who only ruled for six years, and he never got older than 15. And then, obviously, Mary and Elizabeth will talk about those later because they're chicks and are qualified to have their own episodes. That's right. That's right. So this powerful family just rose out of war and complete obscurity, honestly, to become the most famous, or second most famous, if you count Princess, Princess Diana. Diana. <laughs> and maybe in this modern age, Kate Middleton, too. Maybe. Man, maybe. wouldn't that be something to outstrip the Tudors in fame? We'll see. <laughs> or fashion. Ooh. Okay, let's talk about that right now. You okay. know that 
show the tutors you know the show you know the show the tutors it's received widespread dismay from mm-hmm. historians right of being historically accurate the costumes are historically accurate we know we know but they are fabulous right that said, it's a good intro. It's good entertainment. Mm-hmm. Although, if there's children in the room, yeah. you got to bypass all of season two. I know. That's the problem that I had watching it, is because every time I'd start to watch it, there'd be flesh. <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't go there for historical accuracy, no. but if you view it as entertainment with a little education mixed in, yeah. it would be good. Yeah, and I, I think um, a good way to watch it might be to watch an episode and then go fact check it. Real quick. You can do it real quick. Man. So who do you go to for fact-checking? Here's here's some advice. There is a man named Dr. David Starkey, and I would say any book of his, you can pretty much take on faith that it's going to be accurate. He, he doesn't really write fiction, etc. And he's easy to understand. He's actually very personable. He has a series right now that's streaming on Netflix called The Monarchy. And I do believe the period we're going to talk about, I mean, he goes all the way back. Mm-hmm. Feel free to go all the way back. But the episodes five and six, I believe, cover the War of the Roses period um, and the, the beginnings of the Tudors and then all the way through Elizabeth. Yeah, so it would be good to watch those now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good, and it's streaming, and it's free. And he is very easy to understand. Um, another, perhaps less clear, but equally good, Alison Weir, also very serious, but... There is someone that you can read and really get into the storylines, not as historically accurate, Philippa Gregory. Mm-hmm. Writes amazing stories. Like, think about The Other Boleyn Girl was one of hers. Right. Now, these are historical fiction. They're these historical are not fiction. Nonfiction. And we were thinking about which way would we advise you to do? Would you read the fluffy one mm-hmm. and then read the real one? And I think that's the way to go because... Philippa Gregory makes you so, I mean, I cried reading one of her books called The Red Queen, mm-hmm. where I probably wouldn't cry reading David Sturkey's account of <laughs> that same right. time period. Right. So what you might do is read the historical fiction, read the other Boleyn girl, knowing there's some stuff wrong, whatever, that's totally fine, just get in, get right. in the mind, get in the motivations, you know, they talk about the food, they talk about the clothes, it'll get in your head, and then when you read the more serious work, you'll have something to hook that knowledge on. That has stuck with you emotionally. Right, an image think, in your head. I know. I think that's a great idea. You know, yeah. some some may disagree, but I think that's the way I would I would advise anyone learning about the Yeah, story. yeah. And, and who am I? So there is another um, author out there. I uh, was reading a great deal. All right, I started to read a great deal of Tudor related books, and quite honestly, they put me asleep. <laughs> so um, the one that did not is G. J. Meyer, The Tudors: The Complex Story of England's Most Notorious Dynasty. And that's the one that finally hooked me. And um, for the younger set, and actually, you know what? Not even younger. Whoever wants it the simple, most simplified way possible, there is a website, and we will link you in our show notes, um, Project Britain, the Tutors. Um, it's very, in the simplest terms possible, um, it's great for kids, but it's also great for adults who just want a quick overview of the whole, of the people and the politics and it's a nicely done website. So we'll link you to that. So going back, this is even more simple. Even more simple. Henry the Sixth, cuckoo. Edward the Fourth, not taking anybody's crap. Richard the Third, Scar from the Lion King. Henry the Tudor, Grandpa. There you go. The simplest form possible. And now we're ready to talk about the Tudor women. <laughs> Yay! So if we refer to Grandpa at any point, it's That's... Henry the Seventh. 
And if we slip Scar into conversations, we're talking about Richard III. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I hope this helps. And join us next time when we actually start our series on the Tudors. See you next time. Bye. For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks with, with an, an X. X. Or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. The music in our podcast comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Chicken, chicken.